Hi, I'm wondering what I gotta do to get Perrin to spank me like that, Dalen. And I am your homecoming princess, Eric. And welcome to Loyal's Book Club, a podcast dedicated to dissecting and discussing Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series, The Wheel of Time. So we are going to apologize in advance for the audio issues. Um, We are back doing this over Zoom for the time being, just because I've been sick and I'm not going to be that person that gets people sick. And mic issues, so now I am just talking into the mic without plugging my stuff in so and you know what while we're at it while we're apologizing for that let's let's get all the apologies out of the way i personally apologize for any of the mispronunciations i've had in the past or will have in the future and i know some things have come out about me in the press that i just want to acknowledge right now i'm young i'm learning you guys and i think that's what the most important thing is is that we all grow we all make mistakes and you don't have to make mistakes with our new facial cleanser. So um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to apologize but, to my eighth grade history teacher for never turning in that paper. That was totally my B. We are all just coming clean. We're all problematic. We are all, uh, we are all not perfect. And uh, neither are the chapters we're going over today. <laughs> today we'll be discussing chapters 27 to 31. A interesting group of chapters, I think. Um certainly ones I have been waiting to get to. And, you know, when we were starting this podcast and Eric said, Perrin is my favorite character. I don't want anything bad to happen to Perrin. And I realized we would be starting the shadow rising. And I just went, Oh no, I am so sorry. It's kind of like when I started game of Thrones and I was watching it. I loved it. And I was talking about it with a friend who was so far ahead. And he's like, Oh yeah. Who, who's your favorites? And I was like, Oh, I love the Starks, man. The Starks are like, they're the good guys. You know, they're going to put everything right. They're going to get everything in order. And I saw the brokenness in his eyes because the Starks get fucked over time and time and time again. And, uh, I feel like ever since then, I I should have learned just a little bit of uh, don't get attached to anyone in a fantasy series. And I I feel like I'm learning that all over again. (laughs) Uh, Before we start these chapters, can can I bring up this discovery that was made today that I found out within my first five minutes of waking? Dalen, have you heard about this? No, I have not. I think I know what you're talking about because I heard about it maybe on twitter i passed by one of the character accounts saying something but for our loyal listeners breaking news scientists announced that a massive fossilized skull that is at least 140,000 years old may be a new species of ancient human the researchers named the new species homo longi or i don't know if that's a capital l or an i so that's homo longi or homo iongi that's my drag name homo longi Uh, And they gave it the nickname Dragon Man. Hmm. That sounds like something Charlie Day would say in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. (laughs) The Dragon Man. The Dragon Man. Can we talk about the Dragon Man? I've been waiting to talk about the Dragon Man. Dragon Man. Yeah. Uh, So I'm color me excited. It sounds like the found Rand. Well, I got a uh, blush pink colored pencil, and I am coloring you <laughs> in excited. Color, 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 color. But let's, uh, from that scientific discovery, we are gonna, we're going to jump on in, because I think 
There's a lot of things we need to unpack. The suitcase has been brought out. and uh, Yes, yes. From scientific uh, discoveries to literary observations. I'm ready. Yes. So we're going to begin with uh, Chapter 27, Within the Waves. So we are finally back with Perrin after taking a bit of a break from that whole party. And what a chapter to come back to. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So essentially what happens is they are still in the ways. Perrin is still not acknowledging Fayil and anything that's going on with them. And I kind of want to put some context into this because we're kind of jumping ahead here. But it's kind of understandable why, because it's later revealed his plan was he was going to give himself up to the White Cloaks. He was going to die. And so that's why he's been a little bit more aloof and a little bit more uh, distant, which is the same thing as aloof. But still, it um, it culminates in Perrin having a flashback of a couple days prior, um, right where we left him and Gaul after they went through the ways. Fayil gets off her horse and proceeds to slap Perrin twice across the face, punch him in the short ribs, and then he proceeds to... Uh, it's not shown, but we can assume from the later narration that he pulls her off her horse and spanks her. Well, not pulls her off her horse. Uh, he spanks her. And the weird thing about the narration is he kind of notes that Fayil wasn't angry anymore after he spanked her. She just kind of went, okay. We're good. And, like, she was more angry at Loyal for uh, not interfering, and I think also at Bane and Chiad for not interfering as well. And I think that whole thing boils down to Bane and Chiad would have incurred toe towards Fayul and Perrin because it's not their fight. She kind of, well, Perrin technically started it, but... Fayil escalated it and Perrin kind of ended it. But I'm curious to know your thoughts because it's a, it's the first time we've really seen Perrin also. Yeah, Perrin yeah you know, we're, we're revisiting Perrin and, you know, as you and the listeners know, he is he is my absolute favorite, my darling. Uh, so I'm always happy to get back to him. Uh, first off, I'd like to state that he is a an absolutely noble fool. Uh, I actually don't have a problem with his plan, so to speak. I mean, obviously I'm, you know... Uh, I'm feeling the stakes and I'm feeling the danger for my boy for sure. But all in all, the, the plan is pretty noble. Uh, you know, I kind of agree with him. Like I could see, I could see people doing the same thing in his position. Uh, and I can understand the frustration right. when somebody close to you kind of throws a wrench in those plans. Cause I think, you know, a call in the shot right now. This is going to change the plan. You know, Fayil being there, I think it's going to make him fight, uh, fight back and such. But I'm not going to lie. I uh, feel like Perrin's uh, becoming a bit of a man and, and learning how to uh, <laughs> be assertive, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that's ultimately what Fayil wants out of him. I think. Because we never, we got a little bit of a glimpse into Saldane culture when we had our POV a couple episodes back, but we really don't know the intricacies. 
we can kind of ascertain that Fayil doesn't want to be treated as a child. She doesn't want parent to look at her like she's some little doll. And so it's, I can kind of get why she would be angry with him. It's everyone knows what the ways are and the dangers of the ways. And so parents already being stubborn as it is for him to just barrel in. Of course, it would be this, you could have died. It's almost like when he pushed her out of the room, when the bubble of evil happened, I get it. I mean, I'm not advocating abuse. Obviously, I don't like it's a really touchy subject because I don't think it was abuse. I think Fayil is just a very emotional person. I think there's a lot of pent up anger with her that I think could have been solved had Perrin communicated with her from the get go, right. what was going and we on? Are, we are know? viewing this specific interaction through the view lens of 2021. And it is different than when, you know, within like the first year or first even decade or two decades of this coming out, we probably wouldn't even be having this conversation so much. It would probably be much more as a yeah. cute character interaction. But uh, I think now that we are very much more aware. <laughs> presently uh we do break it down and there is some present day subtextual layers to this now uh yeah and we are also dealing with the fact that we are seeing this through an andoran point of view and andoran is kind of almost i almost want to put it as like almost american south antiquated sort of culture in the sense, well, more two rivers. And we are getting Saldean culture, something we know very little about. And Fayul is still a mysterious mm. character to us. I mean, Moraine even notes that she knows secrets about Fayil that we don't even know, that Perrin doesn't even know, but it's enough that she says it'll put Fayil in her place. So... Again, we've only known Fayil for a book, and we still have ten more mm-hmm. books to go. So. You know, ulti- ultimately, it felt uh, ultimately in the grand scheme of things, it feels harmless. Also, ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, it absolutely yeah. deserves a bit of an asterisk and a discussion. Yeah, my favorite moment though is um, so. Parent remarks after this, Bane and Shiad kind of like we're like, "Hey, come over and talk to us." And he's like, he just saw Gaul shake his head and just went, and he's like, nope, we're good. Um, so we kind of go back to the present and they get next to the next guiding post. And Fayil calls Perrin over and he's like, what do you want? She's like, nothing. I just wanted to know you'd come when you called. And like Bane and she had crack up and poor Loyal. Like I got to imagine Loyal is just not having a good time because he's like, no, that's not why we called you over. We are at the Manatheran Gate. Like, this poor Ogier is in the middle of this. And it's like, I don't think he has Gaul to even, like, talk to. Because I feel like Gaul, Bane, and Shiad, the Aeol are just watching all of this Very go down. Like, this yeah, Loyal is definitely in the middle of this tug of war. And uh, kind of earlier when, you know, because I've definitely talked to you both uh, on the podcast and off about Vail and Perrin's relationship. And... I'm coming around on it uh, again more. I was kind of annoyed by it, kind of annoyed with Baron's lack of communication and kind of the 
uh, it felt like they're kind of growing apart or something. I'm, I'm just getting more wrapped up into how Fael is absolutely wrapping Baron around her finger. Oh yeah. He's got a bad. And I think this group. Oh yeah. She knows what he wants. Yes. Um, and I think what happens later in this group of chapters kind of solidifies their relationship even more. Agreed. But um, we get a little moment from Gaul, who uh, has witnessed Fael calling him over and says, there's no point in trying to understand women better to understand the sun. And so, you know, we get another, Robert Jordan loves the men can't understand women, women don't understand men. And it's like, great, talk to each other, you know? But, you know. It is what it is. Yeah, and you know, I, I will give him uh, a bit of a a bit of a pass on this one because while I don't agree with that trope at large, I, I very much agree with you. It's it's so much easier to communicate in men and women, and you know, every binary and non-binary in between. We're we're just all people. But I will give him credit when you are a young boy, it can feel like that, and it can feel like everything that you mean to say or intend to say gets twisted and you don't get it right. And I do feel like Perrin is the absolute epitome of that young boy. Yeah. And I think it's just, they, I don't know. They don't know how to talk to each other. So, um, so they are getting ready to leave. Everything's cool. And the group is attacked by Trollocs. And in the ensuing attack, Perrin is injured and, you know, they managed to get the Trollocs down, and Perrin has a brief moment where he kind of has a wolf mentality almost, but he fights it back, and he manages to kill one of the Fades, and every they're like, all right, we're good, and then he hears the Black Wind coming. And so the party scrambles out, and Loyal has... Is the last they make it out of the way gate and Loyal is the last one out. He manages to lock the way gate by having both leaves of Avendasora out. So that threat is neutralized. Which, thank God. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I'm calling any shots or predictions about it, but I just I gotta feel like the black wind is going to be harnessed somehow as a as a weapon. And I don't know who's going to do it or anything, but that it's gonna eat someone one of these days. Yeah. yeah, it's a freaky. It's a those freaky thing. Uh, I think the first time we run into it, it just gave me chills. I, uh, I, I think it, it is by far one of the freakier dark forces of nature that that exist in this universe. I agree. Um, so the uh, party is now in the mountains of mist, which is a couple days out from Emmons Field. And they remark that this is where Manetherin was. This is where King Amon died. This is where his wife made her final stand. And as they're kind of getting their bearings, Perrin sees two hawks flying near the end of the valley. So kind of far off. And he watches as one is shot down by an arrow. And then he watches as the second hawk flies down to try to like see what's going on. And it's crowded by a bunch of ravens. It reminds me of Eye of the World when Egwene, Parent, and Elias were kind of journeying together. And they watched a fox be absolutely destroyed by a flock of 
Ravens. And so that's not a good sign, you know? So parents sees like the Ravens and he just gets this stinking feeling that there's something wrong. And so Fail tends to his wounds and, um, shit, how does the chapter end? It's this moment of, you can tell she cares because she's tending to his wound and then she sees his coat and she's like, if you think I'm sewing this uh, hole up for you, you've got another thing coming. I wasn't thinking you would do it. She throws his coat at him. I'm done sewing for you, Perrin. And she walks away and he's like, okay. And so the chapter ends with Perrin trying to sense any wolves around and He's kind of freaked out that there aren't any. And in the next chapter, we start finding out why there's no wolves. Yeah. It's uh, not a good sign for Perrin to be coming back to. No, you know? and it does feel like a bit of a, um, a little, a little too late to be, to be checking in Perrin. You should have been, should have been doing that beforehand. And like, like one yeah. of the big things here is you can't run away from your destiny and uh, bad things happen when you do. Yeah. I mean, we can't blame Perrin too much because once he heard about the trouble in the two rivers, he came as soon as he could. But I do think if he had gone to the wolf dream, maybe there could have been an indication and maybe there could have been a, Hey, something's up, but Sometimes that shit happens, you know? Say la vie. Uh, So that brings us to chapter 28, to the Tower of Genji. So the group has split up into two camps, Fayil and Bane and Chiad and Loyal, Perrin and Gaul. And Perrin's still a little stressed out about the uh, Ravens. And uh, we have one of my favorite moments. So Loyal is kind of keeping to himself reading and Perrin hears the girl camp laughing, and he goes, muttering to himself, Perrin sat back down across the fire from Gaul. The Aeel seemed to be taking no notice of the chill. Do you know any funny stories? Funny stories? I can't think of one offhand. Gaul's eyes half turned to the other fire and the laughter. I would if I could. The sun, remember? Perrin laughed noisily and made his voice loud enough to carry, I do! Women! The hilarity in the other camp faded for a moment before rising again. Oh my god. It's so high school. It's very like it's very childish. We're having fun over here. <laughs> like it's great. It's one of my favorite parent moments just for the like the alright, you're not impressing anyone here, dude. Um so we find out Gaul has a little bit more knowledge of the Westlands than we had previously believed and that parent had believed and it's a little bit morbid because Gaul's like, you should come to the threefold land. And Perrin's like, yeah. And then internally he's like, no, because he knows he's going to get killed. And it's just this like, oof. And, you know, kind of going, learning about the Aiel and getting, meeting up with an Aiel who is outside of this whole thing. It's kind of interesting because, Gaul notes that he's kind of next in line to become a clan chief and the wise ones and a lot of Aiel had expressed worry about them going over the dragon wall because they said change is coming and it's not going to be like what we expected. And it's this sort of dramatic irony of we know what that changes, you know? And so it's a little like, oof, if only you knew Gaul, if only you knew. 
But Perrin goes into the wolf dream. He has Gaul keeping watch. And so he sees Rand standing amid, amid swirling storm winds, laughing wildly, his arms upraised with uh, golden red dragons flying around, and hidden eyes are watching him. Uh, you got any takeaways from that? Not more than usual, just that typically uh, Rand is at the center of stuff like that happening. Yeah. I will remind you that the red and gold dragons are the dragons, and Ruark has a uh, golden red dragon mm-hmm. around his uh, arm. So, kind of hint, a clan chief has one, but I'll leave it there. Just don't want to be too spoiler, just kind of give a little bit of a hint. Um, the next is Nynaeve and Elaine stalk through a bizarre landscape of twisted buildings hunting a dangerous beast. Yeah, so like that one I was thinking like, you know, they're 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 doing their thing with the black hijab, but I think there's something somehow got got messed along the way and they've they found themselves in a a bit of a pickle. <laughs> bit of a pickle indeed. So then we have Matt standing on a forked road, he flips a coin and goes down a branch, and the second he does that, he's wearing a wide-brimmed hat, and he has the spear he got from the fox people. So I think that's more of, we see Matt making his decision to go to Ruidian. I don't know where the wide-brimmed hat comes from, but he got a hat, I guess. Stylish. Styling, styling. And then the last one is Egwene and Amis are staring at Perrin in surprise as the White Tower crumples behind them, brick by brick. Um, I think we're getting a lot of... I think it means two things. One, Egwene's sort of having her knowledge from the White Tower being broken down by the Wise Ones. But it could also mean... Things aren't looking good at the White Tower right now. We have an idea of the Black Aja are lurking, and something is coming. and so. The safety of the White Tower slowly being broken down, you know? So the vision fades, and Perrin is kind of like, oh, I, need, I wish I could speak to Elias, but he starts calling for Hopper, and so Hopper doesn't respond. So Perrin is, like, starting to do his, like, wolf dream hopping where he's able to, like, travel miles. And something interesting happens where he feels at his belt, and he has the hammer, and it kind of shifts to the axe before kind of fading back. It's very uh, Teleran Riyad where Egwene can kind of change her clothes. So it's very interesting how, again, we get that sense of how similar Teleran Riyad and the Wolf Dream are. If not, they are just the same thing, but accessed differently, you know? So Perrin continues and he sees... Statues of people carved into the mountainside and letters carved near them. Uh, these are the same statues that Matt and Rand saw when they were traveling with Bale Doman in book one. Uh, they kind of tra- traveled down the river where Perrin is sort of going. And uh, as he's going, he sees a man and there's something familiar about this man and there's a brief chase and he finds a half-skinned wolf where the man was. And he can just feel that there's something evil in the wolf dream. And so he continues chasing the man and he finds himself in front of a 200-foot tall tower that's like super thick. And 
he knows the man disappeared into it, but he can't figure out how he got in. And this is this whole section is really interesting because Hopper arrives and he says that Slayer has arrived. And Slayer is in the wolf stream in the flesh, which is fully evil. You know, Egwene had mentioned, you go into the dream world in spirit, really. Um, when she was talking with the wise ones, they said to go into the dream in person is a thing of ancient evil. Like nobody does that. And Hopper says, or uh, the woman that Perrin encounters says, Slayer isn't old, but his evil is. And this woman, so she's appeared before. When Egwene first went to the Wastes in the dream world, she saw a woman uh, with a long uh, blonde braid who shot an arrow nearby. She remarked she looked like Brigitte, who was a hero of the Horn, who briefly appeared in The Great Hunt. And she introduces the place as the Tower of Genji. And it's the realm of the Aelfin and the Eelfin. So we get the names of the snake and fox people. And again, we get um, <clears throat> we get more lore. And it's really fascinating because there's a game called Snakes and Foxes. And Perrin says we played it all the time, but you can't win unless you break the rules. And Birgitta says that they have to be broken in order to win. Courage to strengthen, fire to blind, music to daze, iron to bind. And it's interesting that it's like we're getting a lot of specific details because when Matt went into the doorways twice, the people that met him said, do you have iron? Do you have music? Do you have fire? These are ancient accords that you can't bring. So my big question for you is, do you think Perrin is going to have to deal with the snake and the Aelfin and the Aelfin? I, I think it's inevitable. Like, I and I... Do you think, like, again, this woman has appeared to Egwene and Perrin. Do you think that because she's kind of giving Perrin this information that she's going to kind of be his guide in there? Yeah, you know what? I could totally see that. I, I definitely see at the very least that this isn't the last time uh, they'll be around, at the very least. So, well, a guide, maybe because I, I wanted Elias so much to be, you know, kind of his wolf brotherly guide and stuff, but this this could definitely fulfill that. Yeah, like sort of a dream world mentor yeah. for him. Okay, well, we'll just have to read and find out. So uh, the woman keeps talking about, I've, I've already said too much, and... Perrin, over his shoulder, gets a glimpse of a man with two sword hilts rising over his shoulders. And this isn't a spoiler, but this is the Witcher crossover we've been desperately wanting. I joke, but it's a uh, really interesting moment because then he turns and Brigitte's gone. And Hopper is like, you were talking to yourself. So, Dreamworld is weird. This is the second time we've get gotten Brigitte. So we don't know what she's doing. We don't know what the man with the two swords was. A lot of weird shit's going yeah. on. You know, I think it's a lot thrown at us. Um, but Hopper kind of confirms that Slayer is here. He has been killing wolves. And it said, 
if you kill wolves in the wolf dream, that's it. They don't come back like Hopper got to. And it's kind of a funny moment because Hopper's like, uh, we ride to the last hunt. May you find a she to give you lots of pups. And I'm like, thanks, Hopper. That's <laughs> the wolf sweet. life is That's so sweet. simple. I know. Just running, eating. You're here too strongly, young bull. Um, so the chapter ends with Perrin thinking about everything that's going on, and he tells Gull that it's going to be worse than we thought, and Gull's kind of like, we expected that. So there's just these past two chapters, there's been just so much foreboding. It's so ominous and so, like, kind of now we know what Perrin is going to come home to, but kind of going along that journey, you're just like, like the stakes are really being planted for Perrin and he's going to have a real fucking hard time, you know? So then we get to a very rough chapter, chapter 29 homecoming. It's a very somber chapter. Even before he returns to the Emmons field, we get, did you, it's like this feeling of when you leave home for the first time, and you're away for a decent amount of time. It's not like you were gone for like a weekend, you know? It's like when you fully have left your home and have experienced a world outside of that and you come back for the first time. And that's what we kind of get in this. Like, Perrin talks about the trees and the birds and the sm- even the smell of the dirt, you know? Yeah. It's a very somber, sort of wistful description yeah i got the feeling that you know when you leave home and you come back you your first initial thought is everything is so different here but then you kind of realize oh this place isn't different i'm different exactly it's that discovery of things you change and your perception of things change as well and so perrin is sort of worrying about his family and you know we get like his youngest brother is only nine and there's his sister and his oldest sister is 16 and she might get her braid in soon and so they travel for about three days and they get to the quarry road and we see that the Althor farm is just gone like completely burned down and um they, Tam thankfully is still alive, but it's like, so again, it is this another sort of pounding of the stake into the ground of, okay, this is more than just, oh, there's some danger. They are now, the family of the people that we have known are being specifically targeted. Right. So... It's tough. It's, you're kind of, now you're being, now the feeling of uneasiness is just kind of getting worse, yeah. you know? And so Gall and Perrin kind of decide, we're going to leave tomorrow morning without the others. And that's what they do. And they make their way to the Wine Spring Inn. They kind of go as far out as they can not to be recognized. And they meet with Mr. Salvier and Master Alvir, who 
you know, are like, oh my God, you're back. How was Elaine? And again, it is this sort of sadness. I don't know. It's so, because we know what's happening with Elaine and there's so much that the Alphiers don't know. They, for all they know, she's at the White Tower, but they don't know what happened to her with the Shan Chan. They don't know what happened with the Black Aja. Like, there's so, there's it's this bubble that Perrin is returning to that is so different from what he was used yeah, to. Yeah, you don't realize you know? how much has happened narratively in these books until we're back here in this setting. Exactly. And it's and it's sad to read, you know, because you know, they think their daughter and Nynaeve are at the tower and they're like, oh, and she made friends with Elaine and Min and it's just kind of like, oh, but you don't know the extent of it all, you know? Um, so Gall comes in as well and introduces himself and they're like, oh shit, it's Nail. Um, so they get into the topic of the white cloaks and um, the Alviers are kind of like, you need to go. Like, this is not safe for you. Like, thanks for coming by, but it's not good for you here. And True to her word, Fayil, Bane, and Chiad come into the room. And Fayil is furious because she now knows of Perrin's plan. And she's rightfully angry at him. Like, Perrin's whole talk of honor and, like, I have to do what I need to do. It's like, you're not going to help anything if you're dead. You know, and I think that's my big issue with Perrin at the moment is, for all of his talk of duty, it's like, what is you? What is your dying going to do, you know? So uh, they all get seated and washed up, and Perrin is given a thing of brandy, which he kind of remarks, oh, I've never been given. This is like an adult beverage. So already a sign that, okay, something is wrong. And we get the truth. Perrin's family has been killed by Trollocs. Um, every single one of them, like the children and his parents. And Perrin kind of shuts down emotionally. Like he sees Fayil turn to him and her eyes are wet. And he's like, why is she crying? What is she, you know, we kind of get how Perrin processes this. I think, you know, it's a really sad moment. It's touching almost. Perrin breaks the mug and he's like trying to fix it. And, like, everyone's just kind of watching him. Um, and, you know, we learn that Tam and Abel, Matt's father, are alive. But the uh, Cawthons and the Luans, who he apprenticed under, have been captured by the White Cloaks. And we learn that Pat and Fane is with the White Cloaks, which we already knew. But now Perrin knows and Dane Bornhold has been coming down asking for Perrin. And Perrin is kind of like, well, why don't you fight? The Aiel are like, why don't you fight? We've seen the three boys fight. They're fucking great at it. And Master Alvear's like, we're just farmers. Like, we can't fight. And they're like, we're in a kind of a tough situation because the White Cloaks defend us from the Trollocs, while at the same time, the, tro- the White Cloaks have been kind of searching out dark friends and kind of causing trouble. So they're kind of like, we're fucked. But they say there's someone named Lord Luke 
who was a hunter of the horn. And they're kind of like, well, he said he could help us out, but people are so hesitant because that means men leaving their family defenseless almost, you know? And so Fayul finally breaks through all of this. And she says, I've had enough. She announced Perrin frowned as she stood and came around the table to him. Seizing his head, she pulled his face to her midriff. Your mother is dead, she said quietly. Your father is dead, your sisters are dead, and your brother. Your family is dead, and you cannot change it, certainly not by dying yourself. Let yourself grieve. Don't hold it inside where it can fester. And then Perrin breaks down sobbing. It's a great moment from Fayil, and this is, it's one of the reasons why I liked Fayil. Yeah, this is, this is no longer the roots of their relationship. You really see it start to blossom here, in my opinion. Yeah. And so, as a first-time reader, did you see this coming with his family, or? No, I didn't see it coming. However, when it was revealed, I definitely wasn't surprised. Um, there's like you know it's of of course it's like shocking and everything but there is a sense of I I think it's great because you know one of Perrin's through lines is kind of the you know the human versus animal nature and stuff and now that he's lost a lot uh you know there's not a lot for him left to lose except for Fayil at this point and I think that's going to bring out a bit of a ferocity in him that we haven't seen before I'm you know, I'm 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 putting money on that we're gonna we're gonna see the wolf come out a bit more. Oh, oh. all right, <laughs> oh, indeed. So that's how the chapter ends. Again, a very somber, very probably one of the more heartbreaking moments in the series. <laughs> but we're only four books deep, mind you. <laughs> so, chapter thirty, Beyond the Oak, is a very quick chapter. Uh, Perrin, uh, Fayil, the Aiel, and Loyal uh, are going to be taken to where Tam and Abel are, which is this old sick house in the woods. And so they leave the inn and make their way out. They're found by Senbui, who is kind of like, hey, what the hell is that? That's a trollic. And Marinalfir is just kind of like, first off, you're not going to say anything because this is women's circle business. Two, go away, Sunday. I forgot how much I, I like, did not miss him. Like he just totally like was out of my out of mind, out of sight. And when he came back, I was like, oh, I did not miss this guy in the least. Yeah, Senbui, the Coplins, and the Congars are not favorites, but Senbui is just a crotchety old man. But we find out that the White Cloaks had raided the Alvir Inn. They had uh, taken away some of uh, Master Alvir's books because of blasphemy. And so we kind of get this idea that like, it's starting to get really personal with the White Cloaks. And so it's a little worrying. But thankfully, Sembui is flicked away and they make their way into the woods where... They meet two warders, Ivan and uh, Tomas, and it's revealed that they're Aes Sedai here, and that the women's circle knew that it was happening, but they kind of kept it from everyone because they're just like, no need to bring more trouble. And Ivan kind of goes, okay, I'll be right back, gonna let 
them know that you're here. And so that's how chapter 30 ends. So then chapter 31, we are reintroduced to Viren Mathwin, who we've met several times. She was with the gang in The Great Hunt. Uh, She is on your sus list. She is. And you know what? Still on it. Still on it. And then, do we have a new member of the sus list with Alana Mosfani? First, in, first impression, no. But my my radar is like on. I'm. I got an eye. I got an eye on it. Yeah. Perrin already doesn't trust Viren, but then he remembers that Egwene doesn't trust Alana. Like she mentions, like there are a lot of I start to look out for, especially concerning Rand, and Alana is one of them. And Alana doesn't really help with that, you know? Um, so Perrin finally asks, why are you here? And Varen explains that they were searching for girls who they could take to the tower. And reading this section, I was like, what the fuck? So she goes on to explain that there's less and less girls going to the tower. And Shiriam, the mistress of novices, kind of says, well all of the male channelers are being gentled and, you know, dying. So there's kind of less and less of that gene being passed on. So the white Aja had a plan to have women mate with male channelers in the hopes of producing more Aes Sedai. And there had even been a, okay, so if that's going to happen, the Aes Sedai should be the ones to mate. And, of all the white Aja, Alviarin is mentioned as being firmly against it. And so, again, Alviarin, very suspicious. And it's like, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that Robert Jordan named her specifically as the one white Aja who was against it. Um, so, again, one of the things that made me a little suspicious about Alana is she heals Perrin. And as she heals him, she goes... I will never understand why the Armorland seat let you three go your way. Elida has been having fits over you three, and she is not the only one, just the most vehement. With the seals weakening and the last battle coming, the last thing we need is three to veer and running about loose. I would have tied a string to each of you, even bonded you. He tried to pull back, but she tightened her grip and smiled. I am not so lost to custom yet as to bond a man against his will. Not quite yet. He was not sure how far from it she was. The smile did not reach her eyes. Like, that's a very specific thing to say, Alana. Yeah, and, you know, and this is what I'm saying of, like, she's on my radar. She, she's not the sus list yet, but she does represent that edge of the Aes Sedai where, you know, there are tales and there are rumors. Like, you don't trust them, or if they say something, it's not the entire truth, and... I think she represents that so well, this, this danger, this, you know, ability to do as they please if they, you know, see it as a means to their ends. Yeah. And we learned that, uh, one of Alana's warders was killed by the white cloaks. Um, we get, uh, the kind of full story of the reason why they're kind of hiding out is because one, a warder was killed by the white cloaks. So they can't, they are kind of like, okay, we can't take them all. And it's like, they can only do so much with taking care of Trollocs because Fades can sense channeling. And Perrin even says, okay, yeah, you know, two Aes Sedai against armies of Trollocs. But again, 
I do think maybe Alana's going to bond Perrin as her warder, and that's going to cause some anger between her and Fael mm-hmm. and cause some drama. You know what? I really, I really didn't think about it. I, it felt more like a threat, but uh, I can't deny that it is a possibility. And especially like, if we're talking about, you know, a ripple effect of consequences for this series as a whole, Perrin being bonded to an Aes Sedai would definitely, definitely shake things up a bit. Um, yeah. I kind of I kind of hope it happens, even though I don't want that happening to Perrin. I think it's such an interesting narrative choice for this universe that I'd, I'd actually be on board for seeing what that how that would unfold. But there is the danger of, will it be against his will? Most definitely it would be. And, you know, I, I think I think it'd be interesting to see that old world magic versus this, you know, newer age channeling and, and how those would conflict with each other. Because Perrin's not a regular person, you know, he's he is a wolf brother. He does right. have something very old and ancient inside of him. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll put down that, that down in the predictions channel. So. Tam and Abel return, and this is the first time we're meeting Abel, and Perrin remarks, he looks like Matt, but with, like, wiser eyes, essentially. So, you kind of get a glimpse of, like, maybe Matt will turn out like Abel, in a sense, like, or maybe not. But, again, it's a very kind of sad moment, because... Perrin kind of twists the truth. He doesn't mention anything about Rand being the dragon reborn. He just says they're in tear. Matt's gambling. Rand has a pretty girl on his arm. And we get why. He can't exactly. It's like he's like, how do you say that to someone? Like, by the way, your son can channel, you know? So they step out. The three men step out. And they kind of get the rundown. What we kind of already know about the white cloaks and all that. And that POV ends with three men making a plan to scout the white, uh, to scout the Watch Hill camp. And the POV switches to Dane Bornhold. Man, I hate this guy. I. Dane Bornhold is very complicated. Um, he is a very complicated person, and there's another character that we won't meet for another five books who is somewhat similar to him. I don't know. I get this er- feeling because he's 20-something, I think early to mid-20s, and I think he's a person pro- raised under the white cloth propaganda. And <clears throat> there is a moment, because um, we catch up with him, he's heading back to the Watch Hill uh, sort of white cloak camp after a raid led to a, ta- uh, a meeting with Trollocs. But she kind of goes, it's always when I go out that the Trollocs attack. And he's kind of like, I have no real explanation. And we kind of get his thought process, you know. He remarks that he likes going to the nearby tavern. And he notes how he likes getting away from the children sometimes. And he kind of just likes being around people. And so... We, I got this sense of he's just someone who is doing his job. Like, he believes what he believes. He believes the Aes Sedai are dark friends who want to break the world again and cause destruction. He believes 
Perrin led his father to his death at the hand of the Shanshan Dark Friends and the Aes Sedai allies. So I think he just is very misguided, very much is mourning his father and doesn't have a good influence, you know? Yeah, I think he's a man of his circumstance and I do think he is a man of his code. Uh, and I do think that's about all he knows, that that is his entire world. Yeah. And in his eyes, it's like, no, I do want justice for my father's death. And it makes sense. It's like, yeah, I get that. But it's also kind of like there's two sides to a, to this story. But it's also like the White Cloaks aren't exactly ones to try to hear it out, you know? Yeah, they are a shoot first, ask questions later bunch. Yeah. So he commands the Tinkers, the nearby camp of Tinkers. They're going to head south. Um, and he makes his way towards the camp. And um, he's met with Jarrett Byer, who says uh, Ordief has returned. And they were met with a skirmish of Trollocs in that two children of the light are dead. And Dane notes that the two children of the light who are dead are the ones he specifically had sent to watch Fane, because he knows uh, Ordeath slash Pat and Fane is always going to the south and always coincidentally is met by Trollocs there, you know? And there is that suspicion of Pat and Fane fucking sent the Trollocs on winter night. Who's to say that he's not commanding these Trollocs? To specifically attack Dane and attack the White Cloaks. My you thoughts, know? exactly. Because, to really quick sum up uh, Dane's uh, POV is, he's kind of like, why the fuck is Ordeath here? Why did Pedro Nile send him here? And they have uh, Thane meet him in his tent, and Thane's like, oh, I know that there are dark friends here. I mean, how else were Matt and Perrin and Rand brought up? And we get the horrifying fact that Dane Bornhold says, I covered up what you did at the Ibarra house. Like, so Fane murdered Perrin's entire family. Just and totally recontextualizes the, the personal tie-ins to all of this. Yeah, it's brutal. And the only reason Dane covered it up, he's like, I don't want open rebellion from the two rivers people. And he's like, it's bad enough. He's like, I can't condone the murder of children. He's like, I will not deal with this. And Fane twists this and he says, the shadow is trying to stop me from doing what I need to do. And there's an extra sort of hitch. Pat and Fane saved Dane Bornholt's life. Uh, these gray men were about to kill him and Fane stopped them. But it's also a thing of, do you think Fane sent the gray men? Oh, absolutely. I think I think Fane is playing three-dimensional chess and Dane is still playing checkers. <laughs> yeah. And so Dane is kind of stuck because he wants Perrin, but he realizes in order to get Perrin, he kind of has to turn his back to what Fane is doing. And he acknowledges this could lead to more children of the light dying. So he sends for Fane to leave and he starts searching for his flask of brandy. And so the chapter ends with Fane's POV, and he considers killing Dane and instating Byer, who will be a lot easier to control. But he's kind of like, 
I got to have control. And he kind of says, I wish I had shown restraint at the Ibarra farm when parents, family laughed at him for saying he was a dark friend. We kind of just get an implication of how brutal their deaths were because um, when Dane is talking about the knives uh, Pat and Fane used to kill the gray men, he says when he buried them, the dirt sort of burned as they touched the blade. And we can suspect that these were the same blades used to kill parents' families. Yeah. So it it's rough. Well, not and, to mention the last time we had a patent a, a patent fame POV, it was some pretty dark graphic descriptive stuff. So hopping back yeah. in its head, it's nothing has changed. Uh, yeah. And Fane notes that his dreams are being haunted. And we can assume it's Slayer, and we kind of missed this a little bit earlier on, but when Abel and Tam are talking to Perrin, they note that they're finding dead animals, like skinned animals. So Slayer is kind of working everywhere in the wolf dream. And so we have now Padam Fane and his connection with Shadow Spawn. We have the White Cloaks, and now we have... Uh, the white uh, slayer. So it's kind of like everything is building. And so what makes it worse is the in the final moments of his POV, we learned that Fane has some white cloaks on his side. And we also learned that he captured a fade and he tells the fade essentially, Hey, do you accept my plan? You can accept it or I can just continuously torture you for, eternity and the fate accepts and then fane goes okay we need to set the terms now and the chapter ends with the fade beginning to sweat as he hears the terms and you're just like what sort of fucking power does pat and fane have that he can do this and it's makes it worse because it's like this isn't just a peddler anymore this is some dude who signed himself to the dark one and has some non-Syadine power that he can control fades. So yeah. it's worrying. The established rules and the roles of these beings are, are being a little bit flipped on the head. They're, you're, you're exactly right. And uh, although it doesn't mean anything good, I am excited to kind of see how this unfolds. Yeah. It's definitely building up to something. So we're going to see how it is. But... I think this is a good spot to end the episode. Uh, we didn't get to do this last week, but uh, do you have a gold star for the week? I do. I do. This one's going to Fayil, our emotional um, support buddy. She uh, showed up when Perrin needed her most and uh, really stepped up, so she gets uh, she gets the gold star today. All right. Any color changes? Any boo-boo the fools? Oh, yeah. Un- unfortunately, uh, Fayil does get a color change, uh, but so does Perrin. Because, uh, you know, had to break up that fight on the rug. So, you know, them kids doing a hit. It's not good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we want to thank you all for tuning in this week. Uh, We promise we will be going live again soon. Just got to figure out this technical stuff. But um, if you haven't followed us on our socials yet, you know where we are. (laughs) <laughs> you know what we do. Sadly, we are not going to have uh, Eric spell it out this week, but uh, 
once again, we do want to leave you guys with, we are planning a part two of our Trevor Project fundraiser. Uh, the link is in our bio. If you aren't joining our server, go ahead and do that. We uh, try to post more often, and when we can go live, we are in our server going live. So, bye.